This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This week, it's a trip to the seaside as the mighty clarets take on the not-so-mighty seagulls. This is the Known and Ever podcast. This is Liam Hallinan from the Clarets Trust recording my post-match reaction from Brighton v Burnley. I feel very lucky that we got a 1-1 draw, apart from after the first half of the first half where we should have been battering them. All was well, and then everything changed. Burnley seemed to fall apart. Solly March took a march on us. Matt Lowton seemed to not be able to complete a pass properly. Jack Cork was hit with the same bug. Having said that, Brighton should have killed us off in the second half with a second goal. They didn't, and we took advantage after Sean Dyche's unusual three substitutes, bringing Vidra, uh, Jay Rodriguez, who got a lot of um, unnecessary stick from the Brighton fans, um, and uh, Jeff Hendrick, who, after a shaky start, actually nailed the equalising goal. So I love you, Jeff. Thank you very much. A further post-match reaction. And with me, uh, joining me today, is uh, Rory Allen. So, Rory, thank you for joining us today. No problem. Um, so, what's your overall reaction to the match? Well, I thought overall the, the, the point is a decent result. But I don't think we can escape from the fact that that's one of our poorest performances in a long time. I just think second half... You know, uh, Graham Potton said after the game that, you know, Brian had to change the shape after 15 minutes uh, because we were on top and you could see, you could see during the second half that, you know, you know, that, that came into fruition and Brighton were very much the better team and then, you know, got rewarded with the goal. So, you know, you can't, we can't have any complaints from conceding the goal. It was a good goal, but it's how you react to that, you know, maybe, you know, for a couple of minutes after that, we looked on top, but... Up until the goal, we, we, we were very poor overall. So I think, you know, Dyche will pick that up and uh, we'll address that in, um, in in future games. Oh, thank you very much for that, Rory. I'd like to bring uh, Greg Radley into the discussion now. Greg, what's your analysis of the match? I thought Burnley started very well. But I actually thought we deserved the win today. But you boys are good side that don't ever give up and you deserve the point. So well done. Thank you very much. 
Hello and welcome to the No No Never podcast. I'm your host Natalie Bromley and joining me in the studio this week are regular panellists Tom Whitaker and George Poole. Gentlemen, good evening. Evening Natalie, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm, I'm feeling much better now that we have um, a bonus point to talk about. Uh, George, it's, this is the first time we've had you on this season, properly. It's brilliant to be here as a regular regular panellist for the first time. It's been a while, but we finally got me sorted to record. We have, and we've had a few like miss, misses this week where we've tried to get you on this season. It's not quite happened. But George, I mean, you're going to be on regularly this season, which is really exciting. But for those of you who well, those are people who don't follow you on Twitter regularly. You're off to university soon, aren't you? Yeah, this Saturday, unfortunately, I'm missing the Norwich game because it's it's exactly when I'm moving oh. in. So I probably won't be on the podcast next week. We'll be in fresh this week. But I moved down to the University of Bath on Saturday to study politics and international relations. Oh, what a great degree. Um, how does it feel? I mean, so many of us, I'm, I'm sure like many of our listeners will be remembering those who went to university. It's a very strange feeling leaving your hometown. How how do you feel your season's going to go with not being in Burnley? Yeah, I'm very excited. I just started packing today and it's sort of, it's sort of mixed feelings. Half of you is really excited to go and half of you is pulling down your posters off your wall and thinking... I've lived here for 16 years and now I'm suddenly going in like four days and this time next week I won't be here. But in terms of the football, it's just it's just the the cost of the trains. It's crazy. Like I'm used to paying, what, 20 quid Aki Clarets to get to Leicester, say, and I've already looked at the trains to go from Bath. And even though it's not that far, it's like £50. I'm going to a, a gig in Newcastle in November and if it was going to be a train, it'd be like over 100 quid. So I'm, I've booked a nine-hour megabus that go, that only cost a tenner, but it's nine bloody hours. <laughs> this is amazing. This is just, this is student life. This is this is going to be your life for the next three years, George. I remember it well. I My university days, I went to London. So having to come home to turf when I was going to London, I I had to do the megabus. <laughs> I've spent many times. I do remember one game travelling up the motorway and I was actually, my auntie had given me a lift home because um, she, she was in London that weekend as well. And we were stuck in really bad traffic on the M6. And I remember my auntie was really, really stressing because I can't remember who we were playing. But she said, we're going to miss kickoff, we're going to miss kickoff. And I said, Amory, we're definitely not going to miss kickoff. And she's like, why? I said, because the opposition team bus is right in front of us. And I remember that. And we were, it was the only time that I'd not got the megabus all the way from London up to a Burnley home game. So, um, yeah, that will be your life from now on, George. Well, good luck. Um, from everybody here we look forward to um, hearing some of your student tales when we uh, hear from the next few weeks although um, I suspect we'll have to keep some Freshers Week stories a little bit um, off the air maybe we'll do a, a, a podcast after hours after the watershed so George can tell us all about his university tales um Tom, let's move on to the game. I could literally talk about university days. We're going to get derailed here. Um, We heard from you directly after the game on Saturday, and I think it's pretty clear that you weren't overly impressed with the performance on Saturday. Um, I'm assuming even after that long journey home and a couple of nights sleep, your opinion hasn't changed that much. No, I watched the highlights back. They, I think that we we looked better on match of the day than we did in the ground. I think uh, the first twenty minutes we we created a few chances. We were definitely the best team for the first twenty minutes, but after that we weren't really in the game. Didn't give uh, Matt Ryan anything to do. Sort of between the half an hour mark and uh, and going into stoppage time, uh, getting pulled apart by Brighton. They looked really dangerous on the counter attack. 
scored a, a pretty cheap goal. They scored it very easily. They could have had two or three more in that second half. There were a couple of times when they were queuing up, found a lot of space, and we were just really easy to play against. Uh, Attacking-wise, it was uh, probably everything that away fans seem to think we are. It was one-dimensional, it was long ball, and usually at least you'll see uh, Barnes and Wood win some of the headers, uh, getting onto the second balls. That was the most disappointing aspect of the performance, I think. We barely won a header. Uh, Lewis Dunk, especially, and, and Duffy had uh, had wooden bars in the pocket. And if we did get a knockdown, if there was a loose ball, we seemed to be second to everything in the midfield as well. So, yeah, I think probably the worst performance of the season by a long shot, if you don't include the Sunderland game. Yeah, it's pretty disappointing as well to think that that performance came out of somewhere because we were... We knew that we'd had a really tough start to the season and we had that international break and we, we fully expected to start this next run of, of winnable games, all guns blazing, and it never really happened. And this isn't the first time that we have been slow getting off the mark again after an international break. I feel like I seem to say this every season when we've had that that week off. They, they seem to be quite sluggish when they come back. and. For me, Burnley's definitely a side that benefits from playing regularly. I don't think the way we play and the, the tactics that Deitch likes to adopt really suits the, the Premier League in terms of the, the gaps between games. Um, George, one of the things that, that Tom picked up on there was um, how good we were actually in the first sort of 20, 25 minutes. We've said this before. There seems to be a I'm not going to say trend, but there seems to be a few occasions over the past calendar year where Burnley just haven't seemed to take advantage of being on top of games and haven't got their noses in front. And Saturday, again, was one of those examples. Yeah, I don't think I've ever... I can't remember a game where I've seen us score while we're on top. It's one of them where you're always sat there and you're thinking, oh, we're playing well here. We're doing really well. If we can just grab a goal and then time goes by and we slowly slip out of the game and we're still not scored... And then we might go on and score in the second half, but we, we never score when we're on top in games. It was, ex, it was exactly the same at the weekend. First half an hour, I thought we were brilliant. Well, not brilliant, but pretty good. Dwight McNeil was brilliant. He kept putting in so many crosses from the left, playing really well. And then just around the half an hour mark, they got back into it, controlled it for the rest of the half. And then I feel like they controlled the rest of the game, to be honest. Yeah, they definitely did. But can you put your finger on it, George? I mean, what is it? I think I've... One of the things that I wondered whether it's got anything to do with Deitch's tactics and games seem to be to get to half time still in the game. And I think he the amount of times we're going at half time nil nil because we have not really gone for not not gone for it. I don't really I'm not really articulating this very well. And I, I mean he he likes to play it safe in the first half. He likes to make sure that he's still in the game, especially when we're playing um, away from home or we're playing um, one of the top six sides. And I do wonder whether there is a mentality in the players that they can't just go for it because if they get caught in the break or the, the goals don't go in and they suddenly find themselves two or three down at half time. Do you think that's naive, George, or do you think that might play into a little bit of the psyche? I don't know. I feel like that definitely could be the case because the whole point of dice football really is like to stay in the game till half time or to be one nil up and then defend that lead for the rest of the game. So it's not throw all your bodies forward during the first half like 
probably even Brighton do. I mean, they, were, they had Webster forward who was playing right centre-back. They had him forward a lot during the first half, but that's just something we don't do. But I also think half of it is probably that we aren't actually that good going forward. Like With teams like Manchester City, when they're on top and they get forward, they can slice through you so easily. Whereas for us, we can get forward and we'll be on top of the game and we can get into good positions, which make us think like we should be scoring now. But then it's in that final third, we aren't obviously as good as teams as City. So we can't pass our way through like that. So I think it suits us better. So when obviously we're on top, we don't score often, but it suits us better in the second half, sort of going, trying, chasing back into a game or trying to find that late winner because it's more scrappy and the, the game naturally opens up, which allows us to score the goals. Whereas for teams like City, they can score any any minute of any game. Yeah, that's true. But I've seen us play recently and... and... Well, I think we could score whenever we wanted to as well. And, and I thought we were really terrific in that first 25 minutes. And I was feeling pretty happy and thinking we were going to end up coming away with a comfortable three points. Um, Tom, just going back to one of the things that you said bef- in your opening comments, you, you mentioned that we fell into the stereotype of what teams think about us in that we're very easy to play against and I've seen a few rumblings in in analysis from in certainly in national media as well to say that Burnley are very predictable and you know what you're going to get against them and yes it's very effective but one thing that seems to frustrate me a little bit is that when teams do figure us out which Brighton did on Saturday they made the shifts around halfway through the first half and they made the tweaks that they needed to get on top of the game we then don't seem to have a plan B. We don't seem to then be able to rectify what we've just been countered. And I felt on Saturday that we'd fallen into this default of just hoofing the balls up front and we stopped playing football, which I don't really understand. Yeah, it seems strange because you think the subs, probably the subs that we're crying out for, if you want a bit more of a link between the defence and the midfield, and I think that's part of the problem is that the two midfielders, Cork and Westwood, aren't really uh, the type who'll get on the edge of the box who, you know, break in, score goals, probably get you two or three goals a season each, don't they? So you're probably wanting someone in that number 10 who's just going to link the play a bit. And the ideal subs for that off the bench are Rodriguez or Vidra, and we saw them both. Uh, but we didn't play to their strengths at all. When Rodriguez was on, we were playing long balls to his head. I mean, Wood didn't win any, so the chances of Rodriguez flicking a load of them on, uh, you know, is, is pretty slim. Um, I think we did miss maybe some options on the bench playing wide as well. Um, I know Hendrik uh, got the goal when he moved to the middle, but for me, he's not a winger. And if he does play out wide, he's not the sort that's going to provide service for the front two. He works really hard. He tracks the fullback. But uh, for me, he's a downgrade on Lennon in that position. I thought it was a bit of a shame we didn't see Brady when Lennon came off. Um so that didn't help either. But yeah, it, I don't know if it's just a kind of a, a reaction to the sort of some of the pressing that we were getting from Brighton's front two, a bit of a panic at some of the gaps we were leaving at the back. Players not really wanting to commit themselves possibly because Brighton did throw a lot of uh, plays forward, as George said, Burn and uh, Webster, the wing-backs, got up and down uh, quite a lot and, and, and found a lot of gaps. So maybe that plays into it as well. Um, and then partly uh, it's just players having an off day as well. I mean. Uh, it's not very often that you see Barnes nullified as much as he was in that game, even uh, even if he's not getting the service or even if he's up against the big centre-half. Normally he'll bully them and cajole them, uh, c- 
cajoled him a bit more than he did in that game. Uh, so that probably plays a bit of a part as well. And, uh, you know, if, we, if we'd have nicked a goal in the first 20, 25 minutes, it would have been a different game and we'd probably all be sitting here talking about a different performance. So I don't know if it's uh, a trend yet that we need to be worried about, but uh, it would be nice to think that we, we have got a bit more of an idea of, as to how to play to Rodriguez and Vidra's strengths if they're on the pitch. Because if we got an injury to Ward or Barnes, it would probably affect quite significantly the way the team would have to play as a whole. And there wasn't really much indication in that game that we know how to get the best out of Rodriguez and Vidra. So that's perhaps a little bit of a worry. Yeah, I completely agree. George, the J situation is a baffling one. And actually Vidra as well, isn't it? Honestly, it's killing me to see Rodriguez <laughs> struggling sometimes because he's such a good player and I just want him to do so well for us. But naturally, with him being the third-choice striker at the moment, he's always coming on in games when we're uh, not doing so well chasing the game. And yet we still play the same way with him on the pitch as we would with Chris Wood on the pitch. And it baffles me so much. I think Wood's so underrated. Like Our, our entire attack relies on him and pumping balls it's not a long ball as such, like people call us who for, but it's a long ball in behind for him to run on to, us get the second ball, etc, etc. And that's just not Rodriguez's game. He's not got the pace of Wood to get in behind and win balls like that. But he's also not as good in the air. Like with Rodriguez and Vidra, we need to play on the ground to the feet because Rodriguez is so good with his feet and linking up play. And Vidra showed signs of it at the weekend. And I don't understand why every time we bring them on, we still play the same way we would with Chris Wood, even to probably a greater extent. When he, If we played on the ground, we might have more luck and maybe J-Rod would finally be able to get that first Premier League goal for us. Yeah, amen to that. <laughs> I do. I, I've been, I've, I've really felt for Jay since he came back and he is starting to to get a little bit of um, commentary, certainly from what we've seen on social media, where people saying, oh, he's not been effective since he got back. But George, you're absolutely right. It's the, it's the style of play. We, we're trying to put round pegs in square holes. And, and it's, I think that goes back to what I was saying about this tendency to, to just default to that rigid style of playing when things aren't quite going our way. And it's almost like we're a little scared sometimes just to really go for it and just give these players some freedom. Now, we can't be too critical of that, of course, because that style of play and that discipline in the side um, has brought us a lot of success and it's brought us four seasons. But it's, it is just frustrating when you look at a game like Saturday and you think, well, was that an opportunity missed? We have got, you know, we've got five points now, but we've got to start getting some more points on the board. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is, but certainly Vidra, and, uh, Vidra when he came on at the weekend was, was fantastic, I thought. And look at the hand he played in, in, in um, Jeff's goal as well. Um, Tom, before we go on to, to, to look at our goal, um, Brighton's goal was a funny one to analyse, really, because it wasn't really any one individual's error. It was just an entire bank of players kind of just switched off. And and I think the the Brighton attack was just that little bit sharper than us. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, you could see the goal coming as well. Uh, There was a few times in the first half when uh, they were getting balls in the box too easily. Um, I know that quite a lot of what the way we defend on the dice is that the fullbacks took in, the wingers go out to the uh, to, to the opposition player who's going to put the ball in the box. And quite often, we're not too worried about stopping the cross at source. We're worried about defending it in the box. 
and uh, you know often it works um, we wouldn't be where we are if it didn't but against Brighton uh, they were, I think they, they put the crosses in a little bit deeper um, the the, uh, the movement in the box was really good you know Murray and Mopey are intelligent centre forwards they're not the type who are going to win any aerial duels with uh, with Tarkovsky and me but they knew where to, to position themselves and if the, the problem with defending crosses like we do is if you do stand off and, and give them that kind of time and space to put the ball in the box, if they pick out a decent ball, then there's uh, there's potentially space to finish, which is what happened for the goal. When you watch it back, it doesn't look good. There's no uh, you know there's no closing down of the, of the cross, and uh, Mopé's on his own in in the, in the penalty area, which which shouldn't happen. Uh, as I said, I probably put that down to, to his movement and the fact that he's got the time to to put a pinpoint ball in. I think March is quite an underrated winger. Um, so it was disappointing that that we've, that they haven't had to work that hard for that goal. And it was disappointing as well that we didn't heed the lessons we were getting at the end of the first half when Brighton started to get on top and started to look dangerous with the with the service coming into the box. Uh, and uh, yeah, disappointing goal to concede. On the flip side of that though, George... Let's look at that wonder goal. Now, actually, I meant to say this at the beginning of the, the podcast and I've forgotten, which is terrible. Um, the title of this week's podcast is, um, what did we call it? Um, Late Irish and Underrated. Now, we absolutely have to give credit for this to our friends at, is it London Longside? Um, let me get your, let me get their Twitter handle for you because um, I feel um, I absolutely have to credit this because we did not come up with this at all. Um, they came up with this and it was fantastic. I think it's, uh, yes, London's Longside, which is at LDN Longside. And um, every week after the game, they ask for gifts to sum up the match reaction. And it's just fantastic viewing if we if you go through it and um their their tweet on Saturday was make it late Irish and underrated which just made me laugh massively and I did borrow that for this week's recording so thank you very much much copyright to London alongside go credit them go thank them for this um but George it was it was late and it was Irish and it was from a player who is very underrated in terms of Burnley performances Honestly, it was such a brilliant goal and yet another wonder goal to add to Hendrick's collection. And going back to what we said before, it just goes to show if we played the ball on the ground a bit more during the final 10 minutes, maybe we could have sneaked two goals in there because I was just watching the final 10 minutes today and the amount of long balls that we pumped forward and we actually looked really tired as a team. We couldn't win the balls. They had three at the back. They were all big giants. Whereas if we played through the middle like we did when we scored the goal, perhaps we could have gotten two. But the goal itself, it's all down to Hendrick because not just the goal, but in the build-up play, he fights for the ball in the middle of the park before laying it off to McNeil, uh, who had a brilliant game yet again and managed to put a really good ball through to Vidra. And then Vidra, fair play to the guy. He showed up after coming on as a sub and that flick a lot of people were talking about Firmino for Liverpool at the weekend and his assist for the goal but Vidras was up there it was such a delicate little flick on to tee up Hendrick and then he just puts his laces through it and with a player of that quality because we know he has got quality when he strikes them like at Chelsea away last year more than likely they'll be on target and if we're lucky they'll go in and that's exactly what happened at the weekend I'm delighted for it. Yeah, me too. There was there's quite um, a sad story actually from the Player of the Year awards at the end of last season, where um, 
Jeff was outside. The players are fantastic in the in the Player of the Year awards. They will mingle with all the fans, and they just there's no security there. There's no ropes. There's nothing. They just mingle and they just talk to all the fans. And um, I was in the corridor with somebody else, and uh, he was talking to Jeff. And Jeff Hendrick just came out with this thing, and he said, "Oh, like you know, how you feeling and stuff." And I can't remember how it came about, but he said, and this is what he definitely said. He said, "Oh, I know that I'm not popular among Burnley fans. I know they really hate me." but I don't really know where I fit in this side and I'm just doing my best. And I was like, oh my God, that's heartbreaking. And Tom, I don't, I always feel for Hendrik because it feels like he never perhaps fulfilled the potential that we thought he was going to fulfill. And it also feels like the sides outgrown him very quickly and that he went from being one of our stars to a fringe player in a blink of an eye. But similarly, he's worked spectacularly hard for the side and he's had to play in positions that are just not his natural position. And it, it feels, I feel for the guy. Yeah, you're right. He's he's definitely never had a run in his preferred position, which is middle of midfield, I think. Um, be interesting to see how he did, you know, with Westwood uh, or with Cork as a one in, uh, yeah, alongside one of those two or a slightly more defensively minded, I think. Uh, I remember, because obviously I live in Derby, he was a really popular player. For Derby County, he used to score a lot of goals. Um, and obviously, he's got a £10 million move to the Premier League on the back of it. Um, but yeah, you're right. He never seems to have been able to, to nail down a position. And I think probably a lot of the reason that he's got a bit of a, a bad reputation with some fans is because they've seen most of his work in positions that he's not used to playing or that he's not suited to playing. So, uh, so you've got tried as number 10 quite a lot. and. I don't think that's quite his game, back to goal, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, it's quite skillful enough for that. And then obviously spent most of last season when he was playing out on the right-hand side. And as I said, I don't think he's he's the kind of player who can beat a man. I don't think he's got a great cross on him particularly. Um, but what he does do is work really hard. Um, he's really good. I think he's a really good option when you're playing teams who you know we're not expected to get a result against because he does nullify. Uh, you know the the, the fullback coming over and uh, on the other side, he, he he links well with the fullback with our fullbacks to to protect the flank, but you're just not getting enough goals and assists out of him really, unfortunately. Um, and he's out, I know he's out of contract in the summer. It it wouldn't surprise me if he thought, well, you know, as much as I'm getting games for a Premier League team, I'd rather chance my arm and and see if I can nail down a. a, a spot at a different club in my preferred position because uh, he's not getting any younger obviously and uh, it must be frustrating to be constantly in and out of the side and, and constantly sw- swapping positions around um, to an extent I can understand why that it's the case because I don't think he's necessarily better than than any of the players that he, he comes into a place he's not a better winger than Goodmanson I don't think he's a better number 10 than than Barnes, or is it, it's a better option to play him behind a striker than it is to play Wooden Barnes uh, up top as a two. Um, I suppose the only thing you would say is perhaps Cork's form has been a bit up and down in the last year, and maybe Hendrick deserves a run of three or four games in, in Cork's position to play next to Westwood and, and see how he gets on with that. But uh, obviously, for whatever reason, Dyche doesn't, doesn't fancy that as an option, so... It is a shame, and, and I don't think he deserves a lot of the criticism that he gets. But at the same time, I think uh, what you said there about him perhaps just not quite fitting into the team is is just, unfortunately, it's true. And it's nobody's fault, and it's not a criticism of him. But 
it's it's probably the case. Spectacularly summarised, Tom. I'm feeling a bit emotional now for our Jeff. Be a sad thing when he does leave, and I think you're right. I suspect he probably will go at the end of the season. Um, just it, yeah, it's very, uh, it's a very tough one, really. Um, before we leave the game, um, a couple of talking points. Um, one of which we agree on, and one of we don't, which is always lovely. The first one, um, George, we'll come to you first. Matt Lawton. Uh, brings down forgive me i can't remember who he brought down can't read my own handwriting on my show notes i'm so disorganized this week um lawton penalty brings down brighton forward in the box um does actually go to a var review and var surprisingly quelle surprise stick with the referee's decision and don't award a penalty now, I think this one was a penalty. You disagree. Discuss, please. I disagree because, well, I hope I've got the right instantly because I did fall asleep at some point during the game on Saturday. But I'm sure it's the only way. But to me, looking at the just the normal TV angle, I'm sure he he pushed, he just pushed him. Glenn Murray, I'm sure, I think it was Glenn Murray pushed over. Ah, uh, it was Glenn Murray. Yeah, and it was one, of, it's just one of them where the ball's leading, to, it's not going anywhere, they weren't going to score, it's just a, here you are, have that, Glenn, get up. There's, I don't, there's, I don't see anything in it for me, it's just one of them things that happens between defenders and attackers just to rough them up, just a, a little push, let them know, let them know you're there, on to the next phase of play, so there's no penalty for me, but maybe I'm just looking for claret-tinted glasses. <laughs> That's a very good way to look at life, though. Um, Tom, are you going to gang up on me and say it's 2-1? Was it a penalty for you? Yeah, I don't think it was a penalty. I think it's... Uh, we know Murray's quite good at uh, getting his body in between the defender and the ball and, uh, and and going down. I think the penalty that Brighton got at the Amex against us a couple of years ago was one of them. There's not really any foul there, but he's he's... Uh, engineered the contact and and gone over theatrically. I think, as George says, he knew the ball was going out and he wasn't going anywhere. And he chanced his arm. He went down very softly. But I think yeah, he'd be very very harsh to give that a penalty. Well, you say that it would be very very harsh. The amount of penalties that I've seen go against Burnley over the last three seasons for way softer things than that. I think that's maybe skewed my perception of penalties. I don't think I know what a penalty is anymore in this league. It just seems to. Every single time I look at something and I think, that was never a penalty when it's like, against Burnley. And people are like, no, 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 you can't do that in this league. You can't put your finger on his back, else he will fall over. And then we see something like Westwood, uh, sorry, uh, Lawton pulling him down and then that's not a penalty. Um, I suspect probably the biggest factor was the ball was probably just about going out of play. It wasn't out of play when he did uh, make the contact, but it, it's probably unlikely that Murray was going to get anywhere near it. So that probably you know, might give you some credit for that, you too. Okay, second one. And let's see if I get any more support for this one. 83 minutes, Ashley Westwood, very, very high foot. Um, he got a yellow for it and it went to a red card VAR review who, surprise, surprise, stuck with the referee and kept it in a yellow. George, red card or not? 100% a red card, Yay! let's be honest. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm impressed Westwood's been able to get his foot up so high, being so short, but it's definitely a red card. It, it's it's just clear as day. It's just it's just dangerous play. It's exact, I think it's, exact, it, it's exactly like uh, the one that Mane did on Alisson last season, where he's thrown going high foot, it's just a red card, and it baffles me as to why the VAR's not being used to overturn 
decisions like this, it's just, it's an obvious red card. I think there's some pictures going about after the game from uh, Morpé's face is cut from it. Like, he makes good contact and I don't know if it was due to the challenge, but Morpé went off a couple of minutes later. And even when you, you've got all these different camera angles and you do it down into slow motion and he's still not giving him a red card, it's crazy. But at the same time, I feel like I'm sounding like a Brighton fan here. I'm also very happy he didn't send him off. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm delighted for once. It felt like VAR was going our way. Um, Tom, is this going to be a clean sweep? Was it a red card for you or not? Um, slightly more nuanced G on it than you two, I think. Uh, it was one of them, you know, in, in the stadium at the time. The, he didn't really feel like he was going to get a red card. It wasn't one of these ones where all the home fans are baying for blood and, and they're convinced it should be a red. Obviously, he's, he's gone for the ball. I don't think it's anything malicious. Obviously, he's caught him. I think the I think probably the only reason that it's not been given a red on the VAR, apart from the fact that obviously they're, they're too scared to use it to overturn any decisions, is the fact that Mopé's ducked into it. So it's not like his foot's so high that he's kicked him in the face and Mopé's jumping or something. Mopé's ducked in to head the ball at the same time Westwood's gone for it with his boot. But having said all that, uh, when you watch it back on the replay, when you see it kind of slow down, uh, it, we couldn't have complained had it been a red card. So for me, I can see why it wasn't a red, but I also wouldn't be on here complaining if he'd, if he'd gone. Excellent. I'm going to say that about I'm going to say that as two and a half to half. <laughs> but certainly I've got more agreement for that one. Um yeah, I, I mean, both of you have picked up on this ridiculous situation we found ourselves in where VAR is um, just not being used for one whole purpose. And we were told at the beginning of the season exactly what it would be used for. And they made a huge deal about this clear and obvious error, which in, what, five weeks now of Premier League football has not been used once. And VAR officials are too scared or being directed not to undermine referees' decisions. And all we're doing now is just debating incorrect VAR decisions rather than incorrect um, referee decisions. And And I've heard this a lot recently, and I think my other half was talking about this this weekend and saying that perhaps we're going to end up getting to a position where the Premier League comes out or, or FIFA comes out and just says, you know what, you called for VAR, you wanted it, here it is. It's not worked to the extent that you wanted to. And that's probably because there is too much subjectivism in in football. You can't You can't have enough black and white decisions to make it a resounding success. Um, and maybe we end up just using VAR for offside and cases of mistaken identity. But I would not be surprised at all if we get to a position where um, suddenly it's this idea of a clear and obvious error is removed from the VAR review because it just doesn't doesn't seem to be used. And it doesn't make any sense. Um, George, I think you wanted to come in quickly on this point. Yeah, what's weird to me is that Fair enough, the clear and obvious thing, that it's a perfect rule to follow because obviously it should be that way to go and overturn a decision. But there's definitely decisions like the one at the weekend where they are bordering on it, it, it is clear and obvious and yet they're not making use of the you know the little TVs that the referees go over, the on-field referee goes over, has a look. Because I feel if they use them more, because I know at the start of the season they said, oh, we really don't want to be using these. But with the decisions like the Westwood one, if the referee can go over and the VARs obviously said, look, this Westwood thing, it's looking pretty clear and obvious. And then if the referee goes over and feels the exact same way after looking at the TV, you've got 
you've got the VAR referee saying, yeah, it should be given. And then you've got the referee himself saying, okay, I made a mistake. And it'd just be the perfect way to get rid of the clear and obvious errors rather than just basically just sitting back and doing nothing, which it seems like they're doing at the moment. Yeah, I think what's not helping the use of the monitors is just what an absolute disaster that was in the Women's World Cup in the summer. Um, Referees were going to it for so many things and it did result in some bizarre decisions and also it did really slow the game down and I think the Premier League is is particularly concerned about the product that it puts out there especially to global audiences and it has to be entertaining and if they if they fear that the reaction is going to be the same as it was for the Women's World Cup I can completely understand why they've chosen not to use that um Okay, I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll look at VAR again a million times before the end of the season but I'm going to finish the um review of the Brighton game just on a a positive note you know there's no other way of analysing the game at the weekend Um, was it an off day yes it was were too many players underperforming yes they were is that going to happen yes of course it is going to do but we still managed to keep that strong jaw mentality that Sean Dyche talks about and he said himself that we were very lucky to come away with a point but we did and Jeff scored an absolutely sublime goal, which is one that's going to be up there for a goal of the season again at the end of the season. And it was that we're going to keep going to the end mentality. And even though they were weary and even though they were a little bit devoid of ideas, they just still managed to just get that last bit of spark to fight for that point. And for that, I'm incredibly proud. And and you know what? That's five points now following Southampton at home, Wolves away, Um, Arsenal away, uh, Liverpool at home and Brighton away. They are five tricky fixtures and we have won the home game that we thought we were going to win. We've got points away at the away games that we thought we were going to do. So, you know, it's a tight league and it's going to be tight for the rest of the season. But we are just getting there and that point may end up being vital towards the end of the season. Yeah, definitely a great point for the boys. Uh, It's it's games like that during the season where if we'd have lost there, I'd been really coming on here going, oh, what a poor start to the season. We've only got four points or whatever. The, the last minute equaliser that Wolves got, it's just all looking so down. But after getting the draw at Brighton, everything just looks a bit more rosy. And especially seeing as we didn't play too well and we still managed to grab a draw. It's just typical Dash Dash Burnley where we just keep on going and we managed to nick a point towards the end. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to take that one as a positive win. And joining me this evening are George and Greg, both Brighton fans. So, George, what did you think of the match overall and what do you think were the talking points? Talking points where I thought Burnley kind of shut us down in the first half. There was a couple of chances there where you could have gone 1-2 up. I think second half was the turning point. We played a lot better and I think you were lucky to hold on. The goal at the end was well taken. However, I do feel that we kind of lost and used just kind of saved your bacon for today. We've been the same all season. We're just, we've, got to, we've got to learn to finish, finish our teams off because uh, at, at the end of the season this year, we don't want to be in the predicament we were last year. Yeah. So, Greg, what about you? I think the first half was very even game, to be fair. I think Burnley threatened a little. I think Brian had a little go. Second half, I think we basically battered Burnley. And I think you got out of jail with a with a great strike. Good luck for the rest of the season. Thank you. All the best. And joining me this evening are George and Greg, both Brighton fans. So, George, 
What did you think of the match overall and what do you think were the talking points? Talking points where I thought Burnley kind of shut us down in the first half. There was a couple of chances there where you could have gone 1-2 up. I think second half was the turning point. We played a lot better and I think you were lucky to hold on. The goal at the end was well taken. However, I do feel that we kind of lost and you just kind of saved your bacon for today. We've been the same all season. We're just, we've, got to, we've got to learn to finish, finish our teams off because uh, at, at the end of the season this year, we don't want to be in the predicament we were last year. So. Greg, what about you? I think the first half was a very even game, to be fair. I think Burnley threatened a little. I think Brian had a little go. Second half, I think we basically battered Burnley. And I think you got out of jail with a with a great strike. Good luck for the rest of the season. Thank you. All the best. I'm here with uh, Brian legend Andy Rollins. First of all, Andy, thank you for joining me. You're welcome. Good to be here, Liam. Before the match, what were your expectations? What were your thoughts because of all the changes that have been going on recently at Brighton? Well, there's two, there's two things. Obviously, you know, with, with Graham Potter in charge, we've been so much more positive in the way we play, so much forward thinking on the front foot. So it's been a little bit of a joy to, to watch, you know, compared to some of the football we had last season. Obviously, the results count at the end of the day. You can't stay up on good performances. So obviously, we always want to get a result. Today, we're thinking a home game against Burnley would be nice to get three points, but we always knew how tough obviously it is against Burnley I don't think we've got a result against them yet if I'm right somewhere on the way so yes we knew it was always going to be tough but we were hoping it was going to be three points in it for us Um, what are your thoughts of the match overall yeah look I mean I think the first 20 minutes I think belonged to Burnley you know you, you, you put the pressure on created a few half chances we got ourselves back in the game towards the latter half of the, the first half and started playing some nice football playing it around probably not creating enough chances but then the second half we had, we, we had a few I think Glenn had a couple of chances you know where he could have put the ball away where normally with Glenn that's what happens you give him an opportunity he puts it in the back of the net but it wasn't to be yeah I, look I mean I thought overall we expected to have our fair share of the game and enough of the game but um, you know credit to Burnley they stuck in there as they normally always do and obviously they've come up and conjured up a really wonderful goal great great set up layoff and a great finish, you know. Um, the hardest thing to take was it was a 90th minute. Didn't give us any time to obviously try and get ourselves back in it. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time, mate. All the best and good luck to Brighton for the rest of the season. You're welcome. Save yeah. to Burnley, yeah. Liam. Take Cheers. care, mate. Okay, so the second half of this season, um, no, not this season, this podcast, got it, we're only five weeks in and I'm already starting to feel like we're halfway through the season. The second half of this week's podcast is going to be a bit of a roundup of quite a few talking points that we've had this week. Um, Tom, I'm going to come to you first because one of the comments that we made in the first half of the show was about knuckling down and, and finding those points that could end up being vital for the end of the season. And I think one of the things that has concerned me a little bit so far is this trend for the so-called whipping boys of the league um to pick up bonus points where they had absolutely no business picking up bonus points and I am of course talking about the big Premier League news of the weekend and that was Norwich's win at home to City that was a bit of a puke result Tom yeah it's a real shame and it's one of the things I don't like about the Premier League like if we weren't in it You'd be watching that game saying, oh, that's fantastic, brilliant for Norwich. That's great for the game in, in general, great for the league. But when it's your relegation rivals, you're sitting there thinking, God, I wish it had stuck six past them. Um, but yeah, fair play to them. That's some result. I know uh, City looks a bit wobbly with uh, Otamendi and Stones uh, playing centre-half. But uh, still, to 
I think what what you've got to give Norwich and uh, I think Sheffield United as well massive credit for is they haven't changed the way you play. Uh, they're really on the front foot. They're really positive. And uh, I think in Norwich's case, you're seeing one or two games where it's got them a bit of a thump in Liverpool away. The first game of the season springs to mind and everyone was saying, to keep playing like that all season, they're going to struggle. But uh, it's it's come up trumps for them on, on Saturday. So you've got to hold your hands up and say fair play. Makes you makes you quite nervous about facing them on Saturday now. So I was, I was thinking it was going to be uh, one of the easier three points you'd have this season, but I'm not so sure about that now. I know I'm a little bit worried about these as well. I think it's a bit early in the season to get too worried about it. I mean, uh, with with the obviously got a bonus point on Saturday, but uh, against that, you could say we we had two stolen from us in the Wolves game. Uh, so if, if you add another point onto our total, I think we'd be above Norwich still. Um, and if we'd have won one of the games that we'd lost or whatever, then we'd be, we'd be you know be sitting just outside the Champions League places. So it's. I think it's a bit early to get too worried about what other teams are doing. Sometimes you find that some of the teams that you expect to be right down there end up being a mid-table team, but then you you find other teams uh, are the ones that drop into the bottom three. When you think about last season, everyone was expecting that Fulham, with the money they'd spent, uh, would would be uh, would be quite comfortably staying up. But they were gone by Christmas, and that was one less relegation place to worry about. And we looked dead and buried at Christmas, and uh, and we ended up staying up fairly comfortably. So. I think uh, as much as it was a bit annoying to see Norwich get a result like that, um, this, this, you know, it, it might end might end up being that Norwich are, are miles away from trouble, and there's three other teams, you know, as someone like Watford, for example, you wouldn't have had them down as strugglers necessarily, and, and they're down there at the start of the season. Uh, Wolves as well, not won all season yet. I think we're going to go on to talk a, a bit about them as well, but. Uh, uh, so you never know. There might there might be uh, other teams that are down there, and I think at the start of the season, I'm not going to worry about it too much. I mentioned, I think, on one of the other podcasts as well about uh, nine ten when we started off fantastically beating Man United and Everton, and and uh, and we looked really like we were going to stay up at one point, and then again we ended up getting relegated quite comfortably. So you never know. There might be a second half of the season in store like that for Norwich too. Yeah, definitely. Um, George, are you worried about this yet? I know I'm a worrier, but I don't, is it is it just me? Honestly, I'm not too worried because I I'm pretty confident that we'll stay up. But I'm also I've just got a feeling that this season Sheffield United, Villa, and Norwich could all stay up, and I can just sense some established Premier League teams going down, like your Palaces, your Southampton, and okay, you could find your Burnleys there. But don't say that. I was just going to say, us. <laughs> but I don't see that being us because obviously I've got my claret tinted glasses on. But I can see I can see all them free promoted teams staying up and watching the game at the weekend. Maybe I was out, out of the Burnley bubble because I didn't go to Brighton. But I just really enjoyed seeing Norwich beat them because you just you watch that last ten minutes of the game and you just get caught up in it in the the ground, seeing all the the faces and you you relate to it a bit because you're seeing all these Norwich fans in the stand, these uh, nine ten year olds or whatever, and they've never seen anything like it. And that, that was us a few years ago, man. We are beating City with George Boyd and Blake against United. So I suppose I just related to it a bit. I was just I was happy for them, to be honest. And there's a long way to go in the season yet. They can have these early results. And then, as Tom says, it might be like us in 0-9-10 season where they just fall off a cliff a bit. So hopefully that happens now. <laughs> Poor Norwich. Yeah, hopefully you're about to fall off a cliff. I'm really sorry. You know, enjoy that result against City because it's all downhill from here. Um, George, just sticking with you, a couple of points that Tom just mentioned then in his summary about the, the weekend's action. Um, 
is this uh, this Wolves scenario, which is bizarre. Now, as Tom rightly pointed out, Wolves were one of the sides who did exactly what Norwich and Sheffield United did, and they carried on playing their style of play that got them through the Championship, and it brought them phenomenal success last season. They have yet to win a game this season, and they are in the bottom three. And you, well, both of you went around Europe last year when we were in the European Tour, but people are starting to genuinely assign this pattern of European football to teams struggling in the Premier League. Do you, where do you sit on this Europa League curse? Because Wolves are definitely out of sorts in some way. Yeah, I've, there's there's two things I want to mention on this. First is the league form. Like Obviously, they haven't got a win yet. I don't see them going down, at, not for a minute. They're a really they're a bloody good team. But it definitely is affecting them. I, I can't remember who said it at the weekend, but it was something. It, they were talking about how many changes Wolves had made to the, the the team throughout the season so far, and it was crazy compared to last season. I remember at the start of last season when they started getting points away at United and everything, and the, the sort of run the run started for them. Everyone was uh, waxing lyrical about how Nuno hadn't changed his team for the first ten games, and I was I remember being really bitter because I was like, Dash has done this for years, but no one's given him too much credit. But obviously this season, they've had to change their team so much with being in Europe. It clearly is having an effect on their form because you can see it's not that they're tired, uh, really. It's more that they're just disjointed. They're not playing the same kind of football as they were last season. So I think they're really struggling with it, but I don't think they'll go down. But then the second point to make about them with Europe is I just, I'm a bit jealous, really, because... I was listening to, I think it was the Robbie Savage uh, Premier League breakfast show last week and they had Connor Cody, the Wolves captain, on. And Robbie was asking him about, oh, obviously it's having an effect on your form, but are you still enjoying it? And Connor Cody couldn't speak highly enough. He was saying, we're absolutely loving it. We, we, we want to get through to group stages. We want to do this, we want to do that. And it just made me look back on last season and you never got that feeling from the Burnley players. They're always like, yeah, we want to do it. But it always seemed like a hindrance to them. And obviously we ended up going out, playing our second team in all the games. And we did well to get as far as we did. But you feel we could have gone further. And it's just annoying to see Wolves taking it in the stride. Obviously, look, they're struggling with it. But they're really enjoying it and taking the ball by the horns. Whereas throwback to us with last year, it just seemed like we, we had a cast on for the first first half of the season. We were like, oh, we, we had this bloody Europe thing we had to do. Whereas Wolves are taking it in the stride. It's, it's good to see as a football fan, but makes me a bit jealous. Yeah, it makes me a little bit jealous. I know what you mean. I, I I felt really deflated after the European adventure ended last season. It just felt like we just didn't quite embrace it like we should have done. But you know what? We never know. We'll, we'll, we may get there again and we can all run around Europe and, and celebrate some success. Tonight with me I've got Derry Hallinan. Hello. And I've got Theo Bradley. Hello. Overall, Derry, what did you think of the performance of the match and who are, you, who are your standout players? I would say the first probably 25, 30 minutes were Burnley dominated heavily and then after that I think Brighton sort of controlled the game. I wouldn't say it was dominated but it was very Brighton controlled. 
and uh, a couple of standout players I would say when J-Rod came on he made quite a big, big impact uh, Tarkowski threw his weight around in defence I thought he played very well Anybody for the Burnley side that you thought didn't come up to scratch? Yeah I thought McNeil was trying to be too much of a hero today I thought it was trying to Controversial I thought it was trying to do too much on the ball where he could have released it and then yeah. maybe we could have got a goal here and there but it's happened what's well, happened's happened hasn't it so. alright thank you Theo what about you who are your standout players for Brighton well I think really Murray played well uh, he held up the ball quite a lot and had quite a lot of strength I think Duncan Duffy strong at the back then Adam Webster's I think it was his first start today he played well what are your hopes for the rest of the season Theo I just hope we stay in a good place and not go further down in the table and not get relegated. So, top 10 or sort of 15 to 10? 12. 12, that's good. Derry, what about you? Where's Burnley going to end up? I would say Burnley are going to end up probably a mid-table finish around, yeah, 12 for level. Thank you very much. That's all from me. Good night. Tom, moving away slightly from, um, well, yeah, majorly actually from Premier League updates from the weekend. Um, I don't know if you saw it. I wanted to pick back up with you um, on the drink water situation because obviously you ended last week's show with your thoughts on his um, scrap that he got himself into and that he was resulting six weeks out injured. Um, did you see uh, or did you hear Deitch's comments on Thursday about it? And if so, what did you what did you make of that? Yeah, uh, conciliatory. Uh, I suppose it's what you'd expect because I presume we, we've got him till January now uh, and Dash isn't the kind of person who will dig people out in public um, and he's also not going to burn the bridge if he thinks there's a chance we can get him back and back in the team um, before before his loan spell finishes. I presume as well he's hoping that he's going to be able to extend it um, if he comes back and he's playing all right before. Um, yeah, I wonder what was said behind closed doors to him. I imagine he wasn't quite so uh, <laughs> quite so uh, calm and conciliatory uh, when they had the meeting. I suppose a lot of it depends on what Drinkwater said about it and maybe uh, what's been reported in the sun, if you can believe it, perhaps might not have been completely accurate. Um, so if that's the case, then I suppose I'd rather see him extend the olive branch and... Uh, and keep him involved rather than uh, bomb him out while he's still got two, two, three months of his loan left to go. Um, but I'm, I'm still, I'm still not uh, expecting or hopeful that we're going to see a good return out of him this season. But uh, hopefully, uh, Dyche and Drinkwater both prove me wrong. Yeah, where's, where's you, where do you sit on this one, George? Obviously, we didn't. You weren't around last week when we were debating this whole situation. Yeah, to be honest, I was shocked by what Tom said last week about drink water. Very hard It was indeed, savage, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't believe it. I was listening to it and I was thinking, no way, Tom. No I way. I was so awkward and at the I... end of it because I was like, I don't know how to end the podcast now. Um, okay, bye. <laughs> I, I saw a tweet, I saw a tweet um, last week, and it, well, this week, sorry, it was quote tweeting the Dice interview. And it was from uh, James Kilby, at James Kilby 1. And he just put, my gaffer, never says the wrong word, the best in the business, you don't give up on your own. And that's how I, that's exactly how I felt about it. Like, I think he's he's perfectly in his right to go out 
drinking and obviously he's put himself in a position which he shouldn't do as a professional. He's trying to hit on hit on this guy's girl. But th- there's just, there was no need for that, obviously, but there's no need to throw him under the bus. Like, I feel really bad for him that the reports of six people trying to s- stamp on his leg to break it. I mean, my heart goes out. Like, you, f- you think about what he must have been thinking in that moment. Well, whether he was thinking or not, after all, after all he'd been drinking, let's be honest. But I just feel people should have second chances in life. Let's get him back fit, get him on the pitch. And we know he's a brilliant player. He's one of our own now, he's a claret. So let's get behind him and hopefully he can prove Tom wrong. Excellent. I love this. Well, I might make this a feature, Drink Water Corner. Do you think we should do it every single week? The trials and tribulations of Danny Drinkwater and we'll, we'll have on, we'll have a debate each week. That, that's you told, Tom. George has told you off. Um, and I'm going to end it on that note. I was going to bring you some news and I was going to have a look at the Northwest Player of the Year awards, but we'll do that next week because that was way too much fun. That was a good note to end it on. Um, so there we go. Thank you as ever to George Poole and Tom Whitaker for joining me this week and debating um, a difficult difficult week away at the seaside, um, but a very valuable point away from home. Um, thank you to producer Matt, who will be editing this week's podcast and knitting it all together for us. And thanks to our band Joyce, who provide our music for this week's episode. Um, but finally, of course, my thanks go to you, the listener, for downloading and listening to this episode. Your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you. We will be back on Friday with the preview show, looking ahead to Norwich at home with Dave Statman, Dave Roberts. Um, and that's all. In the meantime, if you've got any suggestions, comments, opinions, anything for Drinkwater Corner, you know where to get hold of us. Tweet us at no never or drop us an email at podcast at nonanever.net I've been Natalie Bromley this has been the Non and Never podcast until next time The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.